in Australia, you know, you have to be intentional to be to have social impact as your focus when you're an entrepreneur because a lot of what we build or a lot of the the innovation we have today is not solving fundamental problems. It's actually like, especially in the West, it's like, how do I make my life, you know, a bit faster or a bit easier? How do I get my groceries in 10 minutes instead of like one hour? It's not, they're not real problems, right? Um, Exactly. But I think what I found was there was this intersection of like tech, business and impact that's just embedded, like impact is embedded when you're on the continent because the problems we're solving are just so fundamental. We're not making dog walking apps. We're making like, we're helping people move from A to B. We're helping people actually transact money, move money, get healthcare. And so I think that was a key difference I saw. It was like, oh, just by helping people build companies with technology, I'm inherently having this like big impact. Salam and hello everyone. We are so delighted to have you back with us here. My name is Lily Bakala Piper and today's conversation is one that I have been looking forward to for months. Wherever you go, whatever space you live in, from the sciences to the arts, tech is improving our lives, expanding our lives, introducing us to new ways to connect, to innovate, you know, as a mother of four kind of young adults, I'm always amazed at the latest tech, you know, gadget or app that they're introducing me to. You know, I'm now using tech to basically manage almost every part of my life, even if it's at the most basic level. And living in Nairobi for so many years, one of the things that I'm inspired by is the constant energy around the tech startup and innovation space. Everywhere you go, every couple of months, we're introduced to a new way to shop, to live, to exercise. You know, it's all around us. And you, we've heard many people say that, you know, Nairobi is becoming kind of the Silicon Valley of the East African region. And that's a really exciting space to live in and to observe. And even in the media space, we feel that energy and we feel the, the contributions to the media landscape from the tech and innovation and the startup space. So today I'm really thrilled to have a tech entrepreneur, a tech expert join us to help us kind of think about and understand what the current trends are, what the future holds, and what's the most exciting things on the horizon for the tech and innovation space here on the continent. So my guest today is Khaled Maru, a visionary leader who is investing in and illuminating the African tech landscape. He's a partner at Proximity Ventures, which is an organization that's fueling early stage startups that are propelling Africa forward, and also as a scout for global funds who are eager to tap into this really tech-rich scene here on the continent. He's also got a fantastic bi-weekly newsletter called Tech Safari. I have just subscribed. I'm already, you know, kind of, I don't know, salivating with all the ideas and innovators and energy that that newsletter brings to your inbox every two weeks. Tech Safari demystifies its technology opportunities and developments across the continent and makes it more accessible for both enthusiasts and investors, which I just love. It's a place where if you're just curious and you want to stay on board and figure out how to get your groceries faster, or if you want to see what the opportunities are for you to partner and collaborate, you're going to find it on that platform. Caleb stands at the forefront of harnessing Africa's tech potential and is inviting all of us to explore the continent's burgeoning tech ecosystem. So it is really a delight to have Caleb with us today. Caleb, welcome to Salam and Hello. Lily, thanks so much for having me. Um, and that's the first time someone's nailed the pronunciation on uh, uh, my name. So. <laughs> Very, listen. like, how pronunciation. 
good. <laughs> the, the ancestors are listening, you know. <laughs> we gotta make sure we get that right. <laughs> well, kind of, let's just start there. Let's start with a bit of your background. Um, tell us who you are and what your journey has been into this tech space. Yeah, sure. So, Caleb, uh, really, really excited to be here. Um, my journey, I guess, like from the start, start. I was born in Australia, but both my folks were from uh, from Ethiopia. So they moved just before they had me, um, and I grew up in Australia for ninety five percent of my life, um, wow. where I just I went to school there. Uh, I took the sort of you know I got ultimatum to law or medicine to study after <laughs> <laughs> after high school. And I chose law. Um, and I think just from a bit of time working in that space, um, particularly in uh, in law in like uh, in East Africa, um, I started to see that a lot of the things I was doing, which is around peace and security policy and uh, you know governance, et cetera, was just slow and important, like crucial work, but not at the pace of sort of a young person who wanted to make an impact. And so, I started doing, I started like sort of exiting that field and doing some soul searching in 2020. Um, and that's when I sort of bumped into tech. I bumped into this field where it was, um, it was a space where I saw a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in, in Africa. Um, and I was in Ethiopia at the time. A lot of people were just using tech to, not to build, you know, Facebook or to build like Google, but just to solve problems. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like that yeah. you can call them an entrepreneur but they're just people who are like, hey, I can't get from A to B without getting in this like sort of dingy like blue taxi that I don't really trust. Like, why don't I build an app for this um, to make it safer for women like me to travel from A to B? Um, and you repeat those sort of like solutions to problems many times over and a few times it just really grows and becomes a successful company. Um, and so, you know, I, I in my mind, I was like, how do I support this? How do I get behind this? It moves way faster. I can see the impact in front of me. Um, and that's how I sort of ventured into tech from from working in law and working in policy in East Africa. And I have to say, just the way you put that together, what I see in tech safari is exactly that problem solutions, problem solutions, which is such a fantastic way to think about tech as opposed to just um, something that can feel overwhelming with updates and system upgrades and all these things that feel like we are never quite on top of it. But this idea that tech really is a tool for problem solving. So if I can dig into a little bit more about uh, your experience, you know, Ethiopia and, and the region, what were you seeing that was different or specific to the region that maybe you hadn't seen in Australia? Um, it's interesting mm -hmm. that you, your law background was not at the pace, and I can absolutely see that as, as tech, but I imagine also there must have been a, a significant contrast between your introduction to tech, maybe, um, or your exposure to tech growing up in Australia, as opposed to what you're experiencing now back here in East Africa. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I didn't really take tech too seriously in Australia. Um, I, when I was sort of, when I was doing law, I was also thinking about how to do things in social impact. So, you know, impact investing, um, social entrepreneurship, that was also a space I was dabbling in. Um, and I think in Australia, you know, you have to be intentional to be, to have social impact as your focus when you're an entrepreneur, because a lot of what we build or a lot of the, the innovation we have today is not solving fundamental problems. It's actually like, especially in the West, it's like, how do I make my life, you know, a bit faster or a bit easier? How do I get yeah. my groceries in 10 minutes instead of like one hour? It, it's not, they're not real exactly. problems, right? Um, exactly. 
but I think what I found was there was this intersection of like tech business and impact that's just embedded like impact is embedded when you're on the continent because the problems we're solving are just so fundamental we're not making dog walking apps we're making like we're helping people move from a to b mm-hmm. we're helping people actually transact money move money get healthcare. and so i think that was a key difference i saw it was like oh just by helping people build companies with technology i'm inherently having this like big impact um so that's what really brought me in. And it was interesting because I moved back to Australia during COVID okay. and I started a tech company uh, and, you know, I was around, I was funded by uh, like one of the biggest, one of the biggest VC in Australia. And it was like such a good time. But what people were building there was just so different to what like folks build on the continent today. Um, and I think like I got a little bit disenfranchised by that. I was like, well, like, do we really need like another, I don't know, like um, what's an example, another D to C consumer brand? Like probably not. Uh, so that, that was sort of, that sort of sparked the return back to the continent and just the focus on, on investing and building in Africa. Okay. So now you're going to have to define some terms for us. D to C. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, okay. I think like direct to consumer. So okay. what's an example? like Casper, the mattress brand in, in the US, like, or yeah. um, what's another example? Like basically a direct to consumer brand where you buy products. So Uncover Skincare might be a good one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Okay. So you're back here on the continent. At what point did you think, okay, I need also a way to communicate this? Because this idea of tech safari is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It took off. People responded. Clearly there was a need for a communication you know, tool for people to connect around these ideas. So what inspired that? And what are you hearing from those who subscribe to your newsletter? Mm, great question. So like, I think one of the, one of the advantages of being like uh, diaspora is like, um, you have a unique insight into like two worlds. And yeah. one is like where you're from and like where I think like where a lot of my purpose I think is tied to. And the other is just like, for me, at least the West, it's like, it's people who are living pretty good lives, have higher baselines. And so, and, and probably don't know much about um, Africa in, as a whole. And so I found myself like, um, as I was building my company, I actually started uh, a small fund, Proximity Ventures, um, that invests in early stage startups. It was a few friends who were quite interested in, in like on the continent. Um, the company I was building had a lot of custom, like students on the continent. And so they're like, oh, let's put a bit of money into this and just explore with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that whenever I'd have to explain a company to them or what's happening to them, it was just like, I really had to break it down from like, you know, just into super basic terms. Um, it's like, this is how it works. This is what happens in Africa. This is why like, it's like this. And this is how this company works. And I found, oh, actually, this could be interesting for other people. So I started writing this kind of like these memos on the companies I was investing in that were just yeah. really basic and easy to read. Yeah, I was just saying, like, what I found was, oh, like, if I, I started sharing it online, and a lot of people from Australia were just like, hey, this is really interesting, like, can you share more with me? And that's, that's sort of what led into this, like, informal newsletter I started. That wasn't Tech Safari at the time, but it was something like that, where I was like, this is what I learned this week from a company I invested in. Yeah. So I'm curious about the questions that you were getting from people. Um, you know, is it... You know, when you're saying you have to explain to them, um, what what was the gap? What was the information gap that people needed? Was there a particular theme that rose to the top of those questions? 
Mm. It, it, it's almost like, like what's fundamentally different about Africa that like is different in say the U S or Australia. Mm. And there's so many things in that category. Yeah. So every time I have to explain, this is why I invested in this company. I have to explain, Oh, like, um, the reason that this matters is because there's actually not much card. Most people in Africa don't have cards. <laughs> like, so they use more yeah. money. So they have sort of tools they can access finance. Or it might be something like um, another interesting one. We invested in a, in a in a company that lets. This sounds super basic, right? But lets uh, individuals pay for rent monthly. In Australia, you always pay for rent monthly. You never pay for a full year. In Nigeria or West right. Africa, it's generally you pay for two years upfront. And so you have to go into the context. Why is that? Like, why do you have to pay for a full year upfront? Well, um, you look at like interest rates. You look at how people buy houses. You look at like culturally what it's usually like around trust. Um, these are all the factors that, mean that actually, like, if I want to pay for a month of, like, if I want to rent a house, I have to pay for a whole year up front. Um, and that's a big problem. So, you know, it's like you have to dive into the context of, like, not even just Africa, but the country and the space and, and why that's a problem. Um, and I found that to just be a really fun exercise as well. And so um, that was like the base for, for Tech Safari. That's pretty impressive because, you know, Africa's. A continent there's so many different contexts there's so much background from region to region and it sounds like you had to be both a marketing expert as well as a historian about why the investments mattered and why it was a good investment on top of that which is really complex actually i'm really quite struck at that intersection i think many of us in the diaspora find ourselves often explaining where we are specific to where we are as opposed to this broader you know, a landscape of opportunities. So well done to you. What was the initial response to Tech Safari? What did you hear from people once that really picked up speed? Mm. Yeah, so I had this newsletter for like maybe six months before Tech Safari because I wasn't taking it seriously. Um, <laughs> and then I had a post that went viral. So I was like, maybe I'll just try this out for three months. I'll just write every day. Um, and in that three months, it, it was kind of like, if this works, awesome. If not, like, I'll just get a job. <laughs> or, or like, <laughs> I'm <a> <laughs> um, but I was pretty bullish. I was like, I know that there's a gap here in how people understand what's happening in, in tech in Africa. So in that three months, like we had like, yeah, like just a lot of fantastic feedback from everyone. Um, everyone was curious. Everyone wanted to know more. Um, I think what we did was we managed to write in a way that helps the average person who doesn't know about Africa and may not even care really grab their attention and be like, wow, that is impressive. Or that's really cool. Um, yeah. And I think that's when we like, sh like increased our number of subscribers and we had a lot of demand for people to like um, meet each other as well. And so three months in, we, we were just like, okay, cool. Um, let's make this more than just a newsletter. Let's make this a community. Yeah. So I did like a, a U.S. trip um, and sort of brought up, you know, our readers together and, and got to just like hear more Amazing. about them and, and learn about what they're doing. So I think that was like a really cool next step um, of Tech Safari that came from just posting uh, consistently. So you mentioned your your um, your business proximity ventures and that it was this collaboration of like minded individual individuals who are willing to invest in these early startups. Tell us where proximity is now and, and what to you feels like a moment where you knew what you were doing had that impact that you wanted, you know, that that social impact that might have been missing from your original career plans. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting question. Um, 
when I went into proximity, actually, when I had that realization about um, like what I wanted to do moving from law to tech, I, I never wanted to be a founder. I never really wanted to like build a company per se. I always just wanted to invest in companies. I thought that was the biggest gap for, for founders on the continent, um, getting access to capital. And I think just from like my experience building a company, um, yeah, I was like, okay, I have something to give now. And, and I want to start to like, uh, you know, be able to fund companies, but also provide them like support. Um, that experience is incredible. Like I got to know a lot of people I really respected and sort of like be a part of their mission. Um, I got to like learn what it's like to like have a company sort of start and fail. Like we, we've now invested in almost 30 companies and a lot of them haven't made it uh, in the last few years, which is how it goes, right? In venture capital. Um, and I think like I learned a lot from that process. My goal, even with Tech Safari, was, oh, like, let's do this thing so we have an audience and then we can raise a bigger fund and raise even more money and invest more. But I think my perspective on that has changed a lot, actually. I think now I think um, I think the best companies um, will generally attract capital. I think if you're a great founder and you can do a lot with a little, like with little, you'll attract capital. I don't think that's something unique we can provide to the ecosystem. Like we can provide it, but like good founders find money uh, is what I think I've learned. Um, what isn't unique or like what we don't have is like a strong engine of like shaping our narrative and bringing that narrative to the rest of the world. And I think that's where the focus now on Tech Safari has become even bigger. And we've tried to even merge the two. So now when we invest in a company through proximity, we always open it up to our audience at Tech Safari. Um, and we syndicate a deal. So we'll have, we'll say, hey, here's a company we love. Here's, uh, here's like a memo on them and why we love them. And it's not like a boring memo. It's like, here's a cool story on, on the company. Um, we're investing. You're welcome to invest with us. And if you invest, we want to see how you're going to provide value as well. So I think like we found a way to sort of mix this huge audience, global audience with like local startups um, and connect the two. Yeah. So let's talk to the diaspora for just a minute and, and also people on the ground. When you feature a company in Tech Safari and you're making that invitation, what does a typical size of that investment look like? Like for me, someone like me who just cares about this place, wants to see it do well, sees the future is both coming and now. What would you expect from someone like me? What is your ask and, and how big or, or, you know, does that investment need to be yeah. to be a part of that? Yeah. For sure. I think like we, we let anyone invest, like you don't have to be like giving up like hours of your time or anything. Um, we just want to make sure it's people who are passionate about the company uh, and, and understand like, you know, what venture capital investment is like, which is risky. <laughs> so that's the key thing. But like, yeah, I mean, we let people invest as little as two and a half K in a deal. Um, and yeah, and I think it's pretty straightforward. Like you just have to, um, I mean, there's some requirements in the U S that you need to meet, um, in terms of like, yeah, to invest, but it's pretty straightforward. And we've had a lot of diaspora, like take that first step in being involved in the continent, um, through investing. I think just like back to the thesis of tech safari, it's like, we didn't just do it because there was a marketing gap. We did it because we were like, there's a bridge that needs to be built between Africa and the rest of the world. Um, and Africa and it's diaspora. Absolutely. Can we bring people in and then have them participate through putting their money in as well? So I think it's a, it's a nice way for that for them to do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Which I love because I think we, we know that there's already a long-standing commitment and tradition to 
send remittances back to the continent. You know, so much of the percentage GDP of many countries is entirely the diaspora, sending it back for school fees, hospital fees, whatever it is. But I, I just love this opportunity, and I'm going to be digging through your newsletter to find them for myself and my family to also go beyond just our family, just you know, mm-hmm. our little impact because the the scale of what's possible is really incredible. And for our family who's not here on the ground, I, I, I find myself often like you trying to market this place, but I don't always have the words. So I'm so grateful that there's this tool that exists to allow us to share it. Um, and now I'm going to be forwarding that newsletter <laughs> to some cousins, <laughs> you know, because I just love that idea that we can get bigger than just me and mine, you know, um, that Ubuntu-ness that's yeah. available. I, and I, I love that idea as well. Like, it, it's kind of like, you know, diaspora are the biggest financiers of this continent, yeah. which is wild. Like, you think about the, yeah. the amount of aid or like the amount of development support we get. And it's still diaspora who lead the pack. Um and it's like what like there's one thing which is almost like not blindly sending money because there's a lot of need, but there's one thing sure. which is just sending money back or paying paying the black tax. Um, right. But what about like active intentional support? Like, can you convince diaspora to come back and do something, um, or to volunteer some of their time to someone building something? Um, I think when we see, you know, our families move abroad so that we have opportunities and can build skills um, and can like become you know good at what we do, and it's like. It would be great to see that not just you know applied where you stay which is the west absolutely. and it would be great to see that applied here and i think that's a bridge that i think is important to build absolutely absolutely i couldn't agree more with you so let's talk about that bridge here and some of the challenges that you're seeing these tech entrepreneurs um face you know what what to you right now are some of the most urgent problems that you're seeing some of these you know brilliant tech innovators trying to to fix and, and provide solutions to Mm. Yeah, like I think almost like almost every industry there's there's problems, especially here. And so it's like where, you know, um, what are some of those problems that aren't being fixed? Uh, There is an endless list. I don't even know where to start, to be honest. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay, let me pick a sector for you. Let me pick a sector for you. That's very fair. You know, we're health health professionals, public health folks would tell us that we are still in the pandemic. They would definitely not say, you know, uh, it's, it's over, it's, even if it's endemic. So around the health sector, what are you seeing as the most urgent problems that people are trying to, to address? Yeah, that's really cool. Um, like health is broken generally, but it's broken in like a lot of ways. Um, and there's like the, the idea of like, how do you get, um, how do you link individuals to proper like medical support for cheap? And I think that's like a problem we're seeing a lot of startups take on. Um, Startups like Zuri Health, which is a, a Kenyan startup, very cool founders. Um, they actually spoke at our event on Thursday um, about how they're trying to like get healthcare in the hands of anyone um, through text message. So you can text uh, to get in touch with a doctor. Um, I'm pretty sure it's either really cheap or free um, as well okay. because Safaricom, like they have a partnership with them. Um, so that that's really cool. But then there's also like the structural, okay, like, um, Structurally, like uh, hospitals, like don't always have the best facilities, especially ones outside of Nairobi. And so, can you get them the right equipment um, so they can do what they need to do? Uh, that's a challenge yeah. because, like, hospitals generally like don't have the best cash flow management. Um, yeah. It's it's expensive to get good like facilities. And so, there's a there's a startup called Lara Health, which actually recently raised some more money. Um, really cool team, and they. They do like medical devices, uh, but also finance that for hospitals. 
Um, okay. So they make it easy okay. for these hospitals to like level up, increase the number of patients they have, and then like Amazing. improve their facilities. So it's almost like at every level that there's like the individual level, the hospital level, um, and it's like how do we use tech and, and sort of yeah tech and processes to advance um, healthcare. You know, but I'm struck, though, that that feels like a role that government should have had, that that should not fall to a tech entrepreneur to try and fix whether or not there's an MRI machine available to me in rural Ethiopia, you know? So mm. when you're working with these tech innovators or these entrepreneurs, I imagine that there's got to be somewhere along um, the birth of an idea, the birth of a company, that they can't solve it just through an investment or just solve it through support. You know, I don't know, how are you seeing companies mitigate some of maybe the policy gaps that exist or the infrastructure mm. gaps that exist? Yeah, that's a brilliant question. Like, I think like, and maybe part of the model or the thinking was like, there's massive gaps government can't solve um, because they just don't have the time, like the attention, the financing or the focus, right? Um, mm. And I think like the, that that's the role of individuals. Like that's the role of like, yeah, I think, yeah. um, you know, startups to fill um, is okay. like taking individuals who take these matters into their own hands and say, we're going to fix this for us. Um, how do we now fix that? I think what you find is when you build something that is important and valuable, eventually government needs you, right? Um, and you can work wow. together. And that's what we're seeing some of these more advanced startups do. But given the fact that sometimes these these tech entrepreneur entrepreneurs are facing infrastructure or policy gaps and having to address them and maybe even support government, it, are we able to then keep pace with the global landscape of tech innovation? Are we just, you know, it's kind of, it reminds me of when mobile phones became more widespread and it, especially mm -hmm. in Ethiopia, so many places never had the landline, right? So they just had this mm -hmm. digital leap where now we mm -hmm. skipped the landline that was never gonna happen, but now we have mobile phones. Um, mm -hmm. But do you feel like we're keeping pace though, if we are still, you know, taking big leaps, but having to address problems that really those in the West don't have to address with their with their brilliance, you know? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. Are we behind or ahead? <laughs> like, right, you know, exactly. did, like, what else? Yeah, um, I don't know. I think like, um, man, that's a tough, like, it, it's almost like case by case. Like, you know, we skipped landline, um, which is amazing. And then we went straight to mm -hmm. mobile money. <laughs> Like, yeah, that's exactly. cool, like, which nobody was doing, right? Like in PESA, I'm yeah. always, every time I go to the States, I'm like, this is too complicated. I'm sorry. Apple Pay is just not as good. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. 100%. It's like, and, and like, and that was 2007. That wasn't even like, uh, like yeah. that was before Apple. Like, yeah, like yes, that happened really. Exactly. And then we have things like, even things like Chamas or uh, Ikubs, I think they're called in Ethiopia. Yeah, like, which yeah, are that's actually right. Yeah, that's like, those are how people have like stayed afloat, um, you know, across Africa. And and now there's like, instead of like people, I think people jump to digital lending. Can we give you a loan in like five minutes? But actually those are, those can actually harm more than they help um, yeah. like community. So now we're going back to like Chamas or Ikubs. Uh, e um, so I think actually like there's some instances where it's like, wow, like African ingenuity and, and just having to make things work with less really actually helps us. I think you find actually the best companies start like that too. Um, mm. But uh, we are behind in some ways. Like I think the fact that there's inherently an Africa risk. So whenever a global investor looks at coming here, that they're, they're discounting um, on the value of a company. Um, yeah. And, and we also have like government risk as well. 
it's really hard to be a successful company that's just in one market because what happens to the government just turns you off. <laughs> and we know that that yeah. happens. Um, those risks are really they're existential and that definitely sets us back. Um, and I think it's, unfortunately, it's just the game we have to play um, and we just have to do better. Um, yeah, and we talk about this a lot as a team at Tech Safari. It's like, we have a responsibility to be world-class, even though our conditions make it harder to do that uh, because we need to like overperform for the continent. It's like, if you're from here, you just, it's the same as being like a minority. Like you just have to overperform to, to stay at that level um, and you have that responsibility, but, but we're tough. So I'm sure like, uh, I'm sure we will use that to find like more innovation and, and do well as an ecosystem. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I'm really glad you messaged up because I was, that's exactly what I was thinking of is this a, a Kenyan challenge and a barrier because your your platform is, is Pan-African as is mine and what I hear in Kenya tends to be pretty specific to Kenya in both the cultural and political space as well as it sounds like tech and innovation and uh, my dear friend Alki in, uh, in, in Ethiopia is working in a, um, in a mobile company um, like a competitor to Safaricom and I'm just amazed at what she has done and what she has brought to that ecosystem there. And I think her challenges are very mm -hmm. different than what she had when she lived in Nairobi, what she's doing here. So when you look broadly across the continent, let's move a little bit outside of, I think, Kenya at this point, mm -hmm. what, what is it getting you excited? What are the companies that you're seeing that are you know, going from that seed round, initial investments that you mentioned were happening in droves a couple of years ago, um, and those who have been successfully able to scale? You know, what are you seeing is that maybe linchpin that really allows those companies? And I don't know, it's probably not the same mm. for an Ethiopian company compared to a Rwandan company or, or otherwise. But yeah. I'm curious to see what, what trends you might be seeing in that seed to scale pipeline. Mm, yeah, cool. Yeah, seed to scale is a very, like, uh, interesting topic. It's one that we, uh, as a company, we're really focused on because uh, I'll frame the problem and then I'll, I'll explain some of, like, Great. what what's being done around it. So it's pretty it's not easy but it's easier to raise a pre-seed round which is like probably your first round um maybe five hundred thousand dollars it's not too hard to raise a seed round so like let's say two million dollars it's, it's a bit harder today um but it's doable you just need to have like a good product or a product a bit of traction and sort of like a reason why i would think that yeah you can turn this into a company but things completely change after the seed stage. Um, and that's when you have to scale. And that's usually where you go from, you raise your series A round. Now, like a series A round for a proper series A round, you're generally doing about $3 million in revenue annually and growing quickly too. Um, and so that jump from like seed to series A is a really big jump. It's really hard to go from like 500,000 a year. It's like 3 million because you have to have something that really works and customers really want and, it, and you can produce it at a good cost. It's kind of what kills most startups. Um, but if you succeed past that stage, you have good odds of, of like making it. So um, I think like there's a lot of things that make it difficult for companies to, to jump that, uh, like make that jump. One of the main ones is um, like the fundamental one is like, does your thing work? And like, yeah. do people enjoy it? And would they pay for it? Uh, and so that that's a product question and, and if you don't have that you don't have this thing called product market fit um it's really easy to tell when you do have product market fit because you just can't handle the demand <laughs> um yeah, yeah and so that's the first one but i think the second one is like 
even raising you know 10 million dollars whatever for your uh, for your series a is super hard and it requires not just like being the best at what you do and like growing it also requires telling a story to people who don't understand your story um and that's where we see like part of our role actually is like how do we help companies tell their story consistently so not just like here's my story guys but like through building their presence and like building their brand um and being in front of these people who really matter and then how do we help them meet the right people to help them scale and raise that money as well and so that that's yeah. another big thing that we think is missing and we see the best companies like really invest in this early um and you know those companies might not be doing even that well revenue wise but they have a really strong brand they have a really trusted team and they'll raise a lot of money um so i think companies that are doing that well um are the ones that generally like we think will will succeed so like there's almost two parts of tech safari one is just writing the content uh, which we have a team around and then the other is actually building this for for companies um yeah. helping them go in define their brand build their marketing tell that story before they even need to raise money and then making that fundraising process even easier for them and we think if we can yeah. bridge that gap we'll see more successful companies and, and more of that multiplier effect that was really long sorry no <laughs> but it's know, like a it's big a, for it's like very like in my mind at the moment as, as yeah. we build out tech safari well and, and true confession is that Rahma and i were talking about just that right before we, we you joined us and she was like you know she felt like that might be what's what's really the next focus of some of you know the work that's coming up for you and i and i think that storytelling piece is really interesting because as somebody in that space i love seeing people more effectively telling the story as opposed to just selling i don't i feel less sold to these days and more like i understand you like they're commiserating with me and then there's something that might be beneficial to me if i if i consider it so i i love this idea that storytelling because if that is part of what is really needed for success i feel like that exists within again the our cultural strengths. If we can just, mm. you know, hone it and tighten it up, I think that that skill very much is there. Um, I want like, to shift gears a little bit. Mm. Oh, sorry. Like, because I think no, this no. is a nice connection. Also, just to the point you made around like um, non-local founders raising money. It's like they yeah. that there's there's like a trust thing that you have to cross, and you cross that Absolutely. like by people knowing you and trusting you, or you looking similar, or having shared backgrounds. I think Absolutely. one of the, the trust sort of things we've jumped been able to jump over or, or even just build over time is like a lot of people we work with have read my content for a long time and so they feel like they know me when they meet me yeah. and it's it's a bit weird but actually like it's really helpful um yeah. and you know if you read someone's content daily and you're like yep yeah, i saw they did this i saw they did that i know about them it signifies trust even some of the investments i've made i made into people who I didn't actually know as much about their product, but I trusted them because I saw them posting consistently. So if you can help a company bridge that gap, um, yeah. that can be really powerful when it comes to telling the story and, and when it comes to like raising money or doing business. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I appreciate that, um, again, just what Tech Safari is doing because I think it's bringing a lot of people into the rooms where they couldn't get otherwise through, you know, this vehicle of Tech Safari and you shining a spotlight on them, which is, it's another added mm. benefit um, of the many that you're contributing to the sector. So I, I want to shift gears a little bit um, because I can't help but think about the tech and the STEM related space as being one that has had some barriers to entry for some groups of people and, and naturally women come to mind. Tell me what mm. you're seeing around women in the industry um, 
any unique challenges they're having to navigate and, and successes maybe that they're experiencing as well. I'd love to hear some successes you're seeing because I mm. think I could probably guess some of the barriers, but, um, but I would love yeah. to hear also the other side of that spectrum. Yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, and one that we like want to, I don't know, it, it's one we talk about a lot internally. I don't know if we've like identified it to like two or three things. We're actually writing a piece on this uh, right now about like uh, female founders. Um, I think that there's a lot of reasons like why it's it's hard to build that representation and build that like sort of engagement in tech. And a lot of it just has to do with the fact that like, um, like Silicon Valley, that whole culture is very bro-y. Like it's very much like, oh, hey bro, like let's build this app together and like, let's like, yeah. you know, like let's make right. money and, and like, let's raise money. It's very right. like, it's a bro culture, right? Um, yeah. And I think that that's how it started that was kind of the origin um and so it's hard to sort of instantly break out of that or not have that influence how um how companies are built so i think like what we're seeing now is a lot of companies being you know built like that by design um and and sort of thinking about that by design as well and I, like i'll give you an example there's a great ethiopian tech company called chapa um and they i don't know how like i'm really impressed by it i still don't get it, but like most of their team are like are female, um, and most of their engineering team as well, which is super hard to do. Wow. Like you look yeah. at any other fintech company, it's like that's not true. Um, but Nail, the CEO, was just like very intentional about it, um, and very much like we want to train our talent as well. And so I think that's like that. That's like um, it just takes like it also takes a bit of like uh, undoing your pattern matching. So like if you're a soft, if you're an engineer or like if you hire engineers, you generally think, oh yeah, this guy matches the persona of the other guys on my team. So that's going to work. But I think breaking out of that thinking and being like, actually, I'm going to go find the talent um, and look for people who fit this role is, is quite important. Um, yeah, the, yeah, those are my general okay. takes, but it's a whole yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Well, when you said bro culture in Silicon Valley, I'm just thinking, okay, how do we bring that home to the continent, right? Because we have our our mm. own version of that here. Um, and I'll be curious to see kind of how your female founders speak to their experiences, because it's not the same as Silicon Valley, certainly, but it's, but it's, I got, I think it's got its same kind of um, intention or motivation behind it, which means, you know, there's, mm. there's only so much space here and the table's full. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how women speak to that. So I'll be looking forward to that. I'm glad that you're shining a light on it. I think it's important. What, what you, you mentioned that this, uh, the company, uh, um, please say it again, the, the company that you just mentioned. Chapa. 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 Cause you said it and I was like, okay. It sounds like a, a Kiswahili term as well, Chapa. So what, what other companies inspire us, you know, kind of, I think we, we, in, in, uh, here's so much of what is not going well in business and otherwise inflation mm -hmm. is crazy. There are layoffs everywhere. Tell me what's, you know, keeping you up at night and inspiring you as you look out at the landscape that we don't always get to see. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, man, what's a company that really inspires me? There's, there's actually quite a few, <laughs> um, but I think like I find it in like there's a company called Money Point in Nigeria, um, which is doing exceptionally well, and I think it excites me because it's a true like African unicorn, like it's a true billion dollar company, 
Um, there's billion dollars by value or like, you know, your investment round, which honestly doesn't mean anything. You know, you can get a billion dollar valuation from hype. Um, or there's billion dollars by like, actually you make so much money. And I think this is going to be probably the first company that truly lives up to that status. Um, and will have like a significant impact in, in that idea of that multiplier effect. Um, there's also Paystack, which we love. Like it's, it's a payments company that's been acquired and they have a really cool story and very strong culture, very great team members as well. And we partner with them. Um, and like, yeah, I really love that team as well. Um, and okay. yeah. And then I, I, honestly, like this is a bit of a flex, but I, I'm really, really proud of like the team at Tech Safari as well. I think it's like really nicely balanced. We brought in domain experts from different spaces. Um, we have like, I think we've just like on that thing of finding talent, I think we've done fairly well to find who is like up and coming talent, who is really young, uh, maybe has never even had a job before. And how do we take a bet on those people and, and build yeah. them into like fantastic writers? Um, and I think that's like, we actually had this exercise on Monday. It was like, which is your favorite? Like, what's a company that you're really excited by? <laughs> and like, yeah. or your favorite company in tech? And Tech Safari came up. I'm like, guys, you can't say that. But <laughs> <laughs> listen, <laughs> we have to we have to speak to ourselves and encourage ourselves. And I, I love that. You should feel proud of what you're doing. Absolutely, it's a tremendous contribution. And if I'm not wrong, it's the largest tech newsletter in the continent. I mean, that's extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. Well, for what we do, yes. Like, there's other things bigger than us. Sure. But I think for yeah, like insights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, no, that's fantastic. Um, before we let you go, just one or two last questions. A lot of disruptions in the tech industry uh, for all of us. You know, both the pace of which change is coming. Um, I can imagine those engineers out there writing code one day and then having to update it. You know, the next. But also disruptions in terms of what we're going to be able to control and what will be human led design and, and what will perhaps not be, you know, how are you seeing companies mitigating those disruptions that we are on the, not just on the horizon, but active right now in our day to day lives? Um, what are, you know, what do you anticipate will be the future of this industry? And, and if we can keep it to just the region, I think that would be particularly helpful. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think I think that there's going to be a bit of a a lot of companies sort of like may have pulled back in the last little while um, in terms of expanding to Africa. But I think we're going to see a lot more of that, like companies like Visa and Mastercard are making like billion dollar commitments to the continent. Yeah. Um, you know, like I think we're going to see a lot more of like global trying to come here and make the most of this growing, um, growing population, growing economies. Um, I also think like we're going to see, again, I think we're going to see less companies, like less new companies coming out, but like the ones that do come out will be very big and like quite um, deliberate and considered in how they're built. Not just like, you know, your 15th payments company. Um, it's yeah. going to be a lot more like, okay, this is a market leader and here's why. Um, I think I'm really excited for that. In our day-to-day -day lives, I'm not too sure how much will change. Like, I, I'm not sure. Um, and, you know, it definitely depends on where you are as well. Um, but I don't think Impesa is going to go down anytime soon. I don't think we're going to, like, uh, <laughs> I don't think we're going to get new payment methods. I think it's just hopefully our quality of life and, like, a lot of the ways that we engage with the world will be improved and supported by tech. And I'm really mm -hmm. excited to see how that plays out over the next little while. It's mm -hmm. going to take time. You know, we're still building yeah. the groundwork. 
still building yeah. things like payments and logistics, which is like the baseline for anything to come. Um, but as that grows, I think we'll, we'll see, um, yeah, see tech interact with us a lot more. Well, I, I appreciate that it's unpredictable. <laughs> so much of life is anyways, and certainly trying to pin down what's going to happen next and tech is, is a daunting feat. Um, but I would love to hear you speak to those who are just entering the space as an entrepreneur, as mm -hmm. a, a tech, uh, you know, revolutionary or innovator, you know, what's some maybe top two advice, you know, tried and true advice that you've applied, seen work that you would want to share for those who are just entering into the sector? Yeah, oh, that's good. Um, like say yes to everything, like just do everything you can. <laughs> In the beginning, um, it's like, it's kind of like, um, like saying yes to, so when I, I only started in tech, uh, in 2020, so I, I had no prior experience really in it. Wow. Um, and like, I just managed to learn a lot by saying yes to every opportunity I could take and, um, trying to be as involved as possible and like learning through courses. So I think if you're serious about it, it's just like increase the amount of things you can learn and, and say mm -hmm. yes to, to things as they come up until. Uh, and maybe this is the next thing is like, until you find the thing and the thing being like the thing that you're like, yep, this is my focus or this is the space or this is what I want to do. And then once you get to that point and that's when you start saying no to stuff <laughs> and just focusing. So I think like that, that, that mental model worked really nicely for me. I was like, okay, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to do an ed tech company. I'm going to do a fund. I'm going to do a newsletter. And that was like, actually the media, there's a lot there. So I'm just going to focus on that now. Um, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic, solid, good, good advice. I agree. Even if you're not in the tech sector, it's certainly solid advice. Uh, you know, kind of this has been so enriching just to hear both your energy and passion for the continent and for what is possible. It's just tremendous. And it's been incredible to just, you know, watch from a distance Tech Safari grow and Proximity Ventures and all that you're contributing to the sector. I can only imagine where this next year is going to take you in the coming years. So before we let you go, we are, there are two questions we ask every guest that we would love to hear from yes. you. First of all, whatever time of day, doesn't matter, but what is your favorite drink? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love a good, well, maybe it's because I'm addicted, but I love a good iced latte. <laughs> oh, <laughs> listen, you gotta yeah. do it. You gotta do it. Yeah. You gotta some good coffee in the region, so we can't blame you for that one. <laughs> That's right. On a hot day like today, a nice latte yeah. is just perfect. <laughs> yeah. And lastly, you know, our show is all about joy and justice from the continent and diaspora, and certainly thinking about what is already happening and the tremendous energy um, on the ground around innovation is part of the reason we wanted to have you on because it brings us great joy to see all the promise and potential in this place continuing to grow and expand. So we would love to know for you, what is bringing you joy today? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I'm just excited. I get to see like a lot of like people we work with, a lot of friends of mine today, get to like hang out with them and think about how they build their thing. It's like, yeah. it's like the most, I don't know. I feel like the work I do is just like heightened socializing, like problem solving and socializing in some ways. Um, like, oh, okay, we're working on this. All right, let's let's plan. Like, let's come up with something. Um, and I'm really, really lucky and grateful I get to do this every day. Just talk to cool founders and, and support them as they grow. So that, that's that's awesome. that's what's bringing me joy today. Unfortunately, like most days are like that. So 
That's amazing. Well, I hope if that's what brings you joy, I hope your joy is boundless and and wide and deep as, as your work and your impact has been. That's pretty incredible. So thank you so much for being on the show and talking to us. I'm going to be following keenly and I hope we can stay connected, you know, both Nairobi and in Addis Ababa, wherever, wherever. I hope we stay connected. Definitely. Thank you so much, Lily. It's been so fun. Thank you, Kyla. Thank you so much. And listeners, um, let us know what you thought about the episode. We'd love to hear from you. You know where to find us on all the socials, on all your devices. And of course, you can always reach us by email at uh, lily at salamandhello.com or producer at salamandhello.com. So until we meet again, peace. Trying to move along the line Maybe one day we'll get onto something Until then we say, say, all done mm-hmm. I know it's hard, but baby, you just got to grow on mm-hmm. I know it's hard, but baby, you just got to grow on